Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today is August 14th, 2023. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers from around the globe to connect, ask questions, share inspiration, and engage with industry-leading artists on a level playing field. My name is Mark Sinozia, and I'll be your host today. And today we'll be having a discussion with our guest, Tanya Schultz. So have your questions ready. Uh, if you have a question, Please use the raise your hand button in Zoom to be called on. And if you can't ask it live or you don't have a mic or something, you can type question in the chat window and we can ask it for you. As usual, this call will be recorded. So if you have any concerns about something that was said on the call, let us know at the end and we'll take it out of the uh, podcast release. Couple quick opening topics. We're about 30 days out from Camp MoGraph, so that's coming up really quick. Really excited about everything. Just another shout out to the sponsors that help support us and the event itself. Otoy, Maxon, Spilt, Grayscale, Gorilla. Appreciate it. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up before we kick off this meeting. Um, Jenny and Casey have started, Casey Smith, I should say, have started a um, form or like a survey, I guess, for moms in MoGraph or MoGraph moms. So I'll put that link in the show notes for anyone listening or on the call today if you want to fill that out. But guys, are start, or you ladies, I should say, are starting to pull together some moms in our industry and start having those conversations. So super excited about that. And I think we will do a Monday meeting at some point with you all because I think it's an important topic. So uh, I will keep that survey in the show notes. So definitely check it out. But without further ado, I wanna introduce Tanya. Tanya and I know each other from years back when I lived in the Lake Tahoe area and Tanya's still out there. Uh, our paths crossed via snowboarding, but um, we've kind of grown up since then <laughs> and have a lot of other things going on. So without further ado, Tanya Schultz, welcome to Monday Meeting. Um, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to connect with you guys. Yeah, so I wanted to bring Tanya on because she's She's lived in the freelance world for a long time for doing like freelance copywriting and stuff like that. So you're used to kind of the contract labor, contract work. Yeah. Um, but you've since transitioned a bit uh, to becoming more of like a personal finance and like a kind uh I don't even know how you would describe yourself, so I'll let you do it. <laughs> I've been basically telling people, you know, I help people basically budget and get out of debt, get out of debt, manage their money. Um, but I'm not a personal, I'm not a financial man, like I'm not a financial advisor or manager. So basically what I help people do is like set up their financial foundation, figure out, um, yeah, their monthly overhead, their budgets, and then help them like, actually, you know, there's a lot of, stuff around money that comes from your childhood and your past, right? So it's kind of like breaking up those beliefs um, and those kind of those patterns that we have around money so that you can make more money and actually like get get some of that out of your head so that you can like actually work on making more money and generating more money and not feeling guilty about it and managing your money in the right way. Nice. Yeah. Well, and you know, you, how did you land into this role? Because you kind of had your own kind of personal finance journey that I think led you to where you're at now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So basically I was, you know, freelance writing. I was a journalist in the snowboard industry for like 10 years. And then um, 
I was trying to transition, you know, obviously not making a ton of money doing that. And there was only so much room to grow. So I decided to transition into copywriting, marketing, copywriting, and I was able to work for GoPro and some some companies in the Bay Area since I was already in Northern California. And then, um, you know, start making some more money and actually feeling like, okay, I have some stability in my life and can save some money because we all know how freelancing is. Um, and then in 20, I'd say 2014, 15, 16, um, I was just like, I'm in my early 30s. I need to figure out like, what am I doing? You know, I I'd never really worked on my personal finances and I wanted to be saving and investing and figuring that out. So I've always been in a personal development and basically I kind of went on this path of figuring out my finances. Um, I was actually in a relationship at the time that was codependent on him because of finances. So I felt very disempowered. Like I didn't have, you know, I was living with him because I couldn't like have, you know, wasn't making, generating enough income. Um, so I was feeling stuck in a lot of ways and mm. kind of went on my own path, was able to pay off almost $30,000 of debt in eight months. And then through like how I set up my budget and how I like learned my personal finances is what I now teach people how to do. And so it was like my own personal journey, but I got really passionate about it, um, being able to do it on my own. And now specifically, you know, empowering women and men, I work with men and couples and stuff like that too. But yeah, just, it was organic, I guess, in a sense, I never would have thought I would be teaching or <laughs> helping people do this. Um, very, yeah, like you said, a really sharp turn from snowboard industry, action sports, but it's been great. It's been fun. Well, and I, I really believe like that's just what's so special about living in these days we live in now. Uh, you really can figure out things that interest you and you can really do it on your own terms. And it's a better time now than ever to really figure out how to do it yourself and like be your own boss and really, you know, I don't know, pick your own path essentially. Um, which is amazing. I love it. And I love how like you were able to take your personal journey and turn it into something that you now teach to people. And I think that's super rewarding probably for you as well. Just not only did all yeah. the, all the stuff that you do personally like help yourself, but now teaching that to people, it must be very rewarding to help coach those yeah. people through that. Yeah. Yeah, it really is rewarding. Um, I have one-on-one clients, you know, um, since 2020 now, some who've been with me since then, um, some who come and go, but yeah, like seeing people put the things into practice and actually feel empowered with their finances. Um, you know, I had a client, a couple of my clients or one of my clients from 2020, uh, she paid off like 60, $60,000 of debt. She always thought she'd have student loans. She was just in that like mindset of like, you always have student loans. You always have this. She paid off $60,000 of debt in 21 months. And now she just bought a million dollar house this year. Like, <laughs> and crazy. she's had her own business. She built her own business up at the same time. Um, so helping her figure out that budget too. And kind oh, of separate all that. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And I also, you know, I found some niche, some I do content creation for personal finance as well. So that's helped me grow my following and um, be able to teach people through TikTok and on Instagram. Mm, awesome. Well, let's kind of get into it. I see, Jen, you've got your hand raised. And, uh, you know, once we get through some questions too, like Tanya, maybe we'll 
kind of wrap back around and you can give maybe some tips and, you know, we'll get a little bit deeper here, but let's start with Jen. Hey, Tanya. Good morning. Thanks for, for coming. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just super psyched whenever I hear anyone does copywriting because that's not an easy job. <laughs> and I have so much respect for people that do that. Um, uh, so money. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's that's been on my brain because I got laid off on Friday. <laughs> um, oh. But, uh, you know, I've always had a growth mindset and I've had a lot of savings. I'm debt free. So it's just amazing what that does for your mindset when you don't yeah. have that hanging over your head. But one thing that I've had trouble with is getting my foot into like investing and diversifying like my money. Cause I know I have all this money in savings, which now I'm probably going to have to lean on. Um, but I wanted to, uh, you know, find ways that I can use sort of my little bits of extra towards something that could grow faster for me. And I have, um, all of these sort of in the back of my head, vendor projects that I want to do. I also have a bunch of classes that I produced that I want to start selling soon. Um, and I wanted to just take all the money I generate from that and put it strictly into something like a faster growth vehicle. But I have no idea how to really get started at all. Um, how, to, how to even do that other than just knowing the terminology. But yeah. No yeah, idea. it's like one of those things that we need, we know we need to be investing. We, you know, it's like, but how and where do you start? Um, so what, like the first thing I always ask is like, is this for long term, like money for like retirement age or my, like where? What would you want to be investing it for? Probably for a down payment for a house. Okay. So, and in how many years? Um, I'd like five to six. Okay. Great. Um, and also, I'm a single income household too, so it makes it a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's two strategies there. I'd say the safest bet would be either to just put it into like a high yield savings, like have your set goal of your down payment and put it into a high yield savings account. So you're getting like four to 5% on some of those accounts right now. Um, I personally use like Discover Online. Uh, Amex has one, Ally has one. Um, and to a high yield savings account and just have those savings goals and try to automate some of that savings so that it's just going to a separate account outside of your bank account. Um, normally if you're saving at the five to the five-year mark, you could open a brokerage account and be in like index funds or, you know, some other more like the stock market and stuff like that. But, um, it's obviously more risky, especially how the market's been the last couple of years to do that. So yeah, I definitely talk to more of an advisor on that end to see, um, but yeah, I normally say like you would invest a minimum of five years into a brokerage account. Like if you were doing that, but if you have that short, shorter term goal, I would just be putting it in, into, you know, you, you could suggest maybe splitting and have, have some yeah. to a, a sorry. <laughs> Do you suggest maybe even if once I'm starting to, to grow faster, um, splitting off another portion of my money and just like trying to put it in as many different savings things as possible. Like I always hear like diversify, you have to diversify. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that really comes down to different types of investments you're investing in. So like, you know, there's, there's two different things. There's an investment account. So you'd have like, uh, just a regular, they call it like a brokerage account. So brokerage account or, um, an IRA an individual retirement account, depending on if you're saving for retirement, um, and then what those accounts are invested in. So when they're talking about diversifying, it's like, is it what type of index funds in the stock market? Um, cause there's all kinds of different investments you can be invested in. Um, but I personally still work with a financial advisor from Charles Schwab. Um, and I, you know, have him manage that 
that part of my money because I don't want to like it's like I explain it like you know sure I could change my oil but I'd rather have a professional like take care of you know what I mean like I want to know what yeah. they're doing with my car but I don't need to do like that back end um they're the professional there um but definitely like for a high yeah open like a high yield savings account have some of that money going there at four to five percent right now is that related uh, to a CD? I heard people talking about that recently too. Yeah, there's CDs too. Um, you could do that. You can like lock in a percentage rate. Okay. You could do that for like, you know, six months or I think they're up to a year or something like that. You'd, Yeah, you could also do that as like another thing, but I personally don't, don't have CDs. <laughs> okay. Well, and one thing that I've, started ever since I started doing my freelance thing is I have my own SEP IRA, which is self-employment, like uh, retirement fund, essentially. And the beauty about that too, is whatever you contribute to it. And I, I don't know all the technicalities around it, but I think you can invest up to a certain percentage and it's not an actual dollar amount. I, I don't know. Yeah. I There's think a it's, something like that. it's a percentage of your income, like a percentage of what you're making so it kind of ranges right uh, and that comes off the top pre-tax i believe mm -hmm. right so it's one way to save on you know uh tax burden stuff for this year or if it you know if it helps lower any sort of tax payment but keeping in mind when you do withdraw that you will pay tax on it but that makes um, sense. highly highly encourage a retirement account for everyone uh no matter what um and I am no financial expert, but that should, uh, you know, theoretically help. <laughs> right. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, those are tied to retirement age. So I think, you know, 59 and a half, um, you wouldn't want to necessarily take money out of that before then. Right. right. Getting lost. I think you can potentially, if, if you're doing a down payment or into another asset, but there, there's just some, you know, there's some loopholes, but ideally you just set up those accounts for like long-term growth. Yes. Yes. And I, I think Jen, uh, in terms of your goal too, with the down payment of for like a, your first house or first property or whatnot, mm -hmm. I think there are like Tony, I I'm pretty sure there are those certain accounts that if you use your money from that account for this specific thing, like you're allowed to withdraw it earlier or whatnot, there's a bunch of like rules and, and yeah. whatnot for it. But, um, oh. Something to be conscious about because I know a first time home purchase is a pretty powerful thing in the finance world and you can move money around pretty easily because of that, I think. Yeah, my CPA said something about that. So yeah. Okay. Cool. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if we confused you. if we confused you more now. <laughs> um, a little bit. Well, it's fine. It's just more stuff for me to look up. I love researching stuff on my own anyway. So this is great. <laughs> I have a list. <laughs> so thank you so much. Awesome. Uh Jags. Good morning. Happy Monday. Good morning. How's it going? Um, first off, thank you, Tanya, for being on. I have a this question might be very nuanced because uh, clients only have so much money. Um, markets obviously adjusting all the time. Uh, and I've been thinking about uh, I'm working on a little personal project that involves a lot of like, how do how do artists rate themselves, especially with the um, with the strikes going on? If we go back six years in 2017, when my copy of the Freelance Manifesto, which is a motion graphics freelancing book was printed, the rates that were suggested were $350 a day as like a you're just getting started, but you have a, you're you're pretty good at your job $500 a day is the standard 
700 to 800 is like the you're really good at what you do and then beyond that's in 2017 it's now 2023 inflation um inflation has adjusted that but also technology has also increased so we can produce more it, this is where it gets very nuanced and i guess my question is um, well, how do you direct your clients to adjust their rates as freelancers based on inflation? Um, and how does that change strategies for business growth moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two things. There's inflation and then there's taxes that a lot of people, a lot of us freelancers, we don't consider, you know. Um, I know, you know, it's like, oh, $100 an hour or whatever, you know, that sounds like a lot at first. And then when you actually break it down, with inflation and taxes, you're like, oh, actually it's this, you know? So um, how, I mean, how I've approached it is I've, I mean, I think you have your base rate, right? Like, okay, this is my bare minimum. And as you get more skills, you can kind of increase your budget um, or increase your, what you're charging people. Um, it depends on, I I found like, it, it depends on the company too. Like I can charge different rates based on who the company is or ask them for a range and how I've, not try to put myself in a box um, with my rate is like giving them like, here's like a low end estimate. Um, like here's like the bare minimum. And then here's like the top of my budget or the top of my, like where this could go. But you can also approach it like asking them how much they're willing to, you know, how much they have to spend and then work accordingly with that. So there's a couple different strategies. I think if you just like, it's this rate, it's this price. Um, you don't have as much flexibility sometimes. So, um, mm -hmm. it, yeah, I think, I think you have to consider, um, you know, I'm always about like increasing your rates and trying to get as much, <laughs> as much money as possible and knowing your worth, you know, mm -hmm. uh, of what, of what you value. So it's like being true to yourself and just like not really going beyond what I think it's, it's hard to give like a direct answer because it, there's yeah. so many factors depending on where you live, what your goals are, you know, your experience. Um, so there's no like cut and dry, but I just say like, I found always kind of giving companies a range of a budget or asking them first, like what their budget is and what they're willing to spend has mm -hmm. helped like make more money. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I appreciate that because it, it, it's kind of reinforcing some of the things I've been thinking where rates are a, a good baseline, but not all clients are capable of that. So you might have like Nike or Porsche or something and they they can like $800 a day is a drop in the bucket to them versus if you do yeah. something for a local company, it's like that's their biggest spend on marketing for the year. And it's just like they can't do much. So my last question, I, I, I'm, uh, I'll stop talking in a second. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think about like what is a good rate, yearly salary rather for a freelance motion designer based on like the bare minimum and looking at median income in the U.S. for an individual, uh, which when I was looking at the census the other day, it's about 31,000 for a household. It ends up being about 70K. So I'm like, okay, a single motion designer should ideally target bare minimum 70K. And if you reverse engineer that work-wise, that's if you take two months off a year, that's 187 days per year or just about $350 a day. Um, so I guess my question to you is like, like, what do you recommend to your clients? Like what is the bare minimum salary that an individual should target per year 
so that if you have to work with a client that can only pay um, mm. pennies or a lower rate, like how low should can you go? Yeah, um, that depends on your personal budget and your personal goals as well. I mean, I think knowing your overhead with your personal budget, um, your bare minimum on that, and then your, you know, what it takes to run your business, um, those two numbers at first, and then, you know, cost of living, having kids, there's so many different factors into that. For me, for me personally, I mean, like, I've been trying to hit at least the six figure, you know, mark, like, bare minimum. Cause I mean, I live in California. That's like, you're barely, you know, you're pretty much surviving if you're making six figures here. Um, so making, you know, my goal right now is 250, but it's like, I think you, you have to, you, you need to know your goals and what you're trying to like work towards and then like re reverse engineer it that way. Um, because depending on your financial situation and your goals, it's really, um, it can be different for everybody. You know, like somebody might be make might feel great making 60, 70 K another person might be like, I can't live where I live, or I can't do what I want to do without making right. 150. Um, right. so I, th yeah, it depends on what your goals are, but I always say, like, you know, try to figure out your bare minimums of like, this is the baseline of like the minimum I need to make a year. And then, you know, if I increase that, what would that mean for my life or what, you know, right. could I take more time off? Could I take different clients? Could I select, you know, not have to take smaller clients if I didn't want to, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Gives you more choices. Cool. I, I appreciate that. And I think modern lifestyle is very nuanced. So thank you yeah. for that answer. Yeah. And yeah, one thing I, I just want to go ahead, Tanya. No, like as you guys collectively are like communicating, like what is, you know, the normal, like communicating that with each other on the rates. Cause like, I know as copywriter, like you know, the range is so wide from $20 an hour to like $150 an hour, depending on what type of copywriting you're doing, what type of work um, you're doing too. So I feel like having those conversations with each other, that always helps. Totally. Um, one thing, and I'll share it in the chat and I'll also add it to the show notes. Um, I have a, a worksheet, an Excel worksheet, and maybe it's even Google Sheets or whatever, but it's essentially a burn sheet, right? So you calculate all your monthly expenses, you put in all your bills, how much you want to save, how much you want for, you know, food to eat out with it, like, you can get pretty nuanced with it all. And then you go through like, the whole worksheet. And on the last tab, it's going to show you what your hourly rate is, what your what your day rate should be, what you need to make this month to cover your expenses. So it's essentially like adding up your life, breaking it down, saying how many days you want to work and whatever. And then here's your rate to cover your expenses, right? Mm -hmm. So like, it's one of those uh, things where people are always asking about what should I charge? What, And it is so dependent on on, I mean, so many things, geography, where you're at. I mean, here in Vermont, uh, you know, a uh, one bedroom apartment is going to be a hell of a lot cheaper than New York City, mm -hmm. you know? And so if you're in New York City, your cost of living is going to be dramatically different than mine, you know? So it's hard to just put out a kind of a blanket idea of what things should be. But I highly encourage everyone to go through this burn sheet and figure out your rate from that, 
you know, because it will allow you to factor in things like how much to save and whatnot. Um, so if you've never done that, I highly encourage it. Um, Thank you, Mark. That's really helpful. Yeah. And I'll shout out the future, Chris Doe. He's the one who gave it to me. So thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. But let's, um, Tony, have you ever calculated, do you do burn sheets or anything like that? Um, not in that way. I mean, I definitely have my Excel, you know, my Google sheets that I figure out my bare minimum, like what's my overhead and uh -huh. obviously my tax rate and stuff like that. Um, cause tax rate factors very differently depending on what state you're in as well. So yes. uh, that is a huge factor on your rate as well. Um, um yeah, so I know like basically, you know, and I have my goals, my monthly goals, and then my yearly goals that I think if you guys get really clear on that, then you can like reverse engineer it or back into it that way. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, let's bring in Sam and then I, I've got a, another kind of follow-up for you as well, Tanya. Hey, Sam, happy Monday. Hey. Uh, so I have a question, but just to kind of reiterate or elaborate on the geography issue. Uh, yeah, it's so different uh, in terms of what your rates are versus your expenses, depending on where you live, like localization and now even like hyper localization has created such a, a massive like block to block your your cost of living could be totally different. Like, you know, renting a room in Brooklyn, uh, you know, speaking of New York City, being in Brooklyn versus being actually in Manhattan, right. you could have a 3x cost of living for the same exact size and, and like quality of life in the city versus here. And so there's, you know, uh, other countries, you know, I was, uh, was in negotiation with some people who, uh, I forgot what country, it was some Eastern Europe, European country, and their cost of living was just so much more manageable. And so trying to work in a team with them where we all felt like we were on a fair playing field, um, you know, if I was going to be making the same amount as them, it would essentially be half the quality of life per cost of living kind of situation. Um, so yeah, it can just depend so much. So a burn sheet like what Mark's talking about, I think is is definitely the way to go because it account for your specific setup versus a kind of broad across the board philosophy I don't think can work anymore. Um, and then my question was back to something that Tanya had mentioned uh, around when you're working with clients and trying to establish your rate, so many different clients have so many different needs. It's hard to establish singular rate, uh, especially when you're offering potentially in different sets of services. And so I always try to approach it from a, hey, what's your budget? And then I'll fit what I can do to your budget. Clients are incredibly hesitant on giving a budget. And do you have any kind of tricks to try to, or, or, or ways of, of phrasing it to try to dig through that? Because I'll I'll ask several times and kind of try to push yeah. the conversation back to, look, I don't want to do something that you can't afford. And I always want to do something that's going to be the biggest bang for your buck. In order to do that, I really need to know what we're working with. But that doesn't always penetrate. Yeah. I mean, I asked them for kind of like a range, like what's your budget, you know, kind of like, give me a range. Don't give me, they don't need to give you like a set number, but like, 
what are you working with that I can work in between or what's like, you know, the minimum that you guys have. Yeah. Uh, and then I can give you, you know, a, a, a proposal accordingly or whatever, like trying to get more information. Cause like you said, I've worked with clients too. And they give you like a very vague, like, Oh, these landing pages, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what does all this entail? Like, am I doing strategy? Am I doing like, what exactly do you need me to do? Who am I working with? Like how long, you know, how many iterations are we doing? Cause people are like, don't take it that into yeah. factor. They're like all the versions that you do, um, you know, and you have some clients who are, you guys probably have this, like some clients are super easy to work with others who you are making little money and like are the most difficult <laughs> people. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I feel like trying to get as much information as you can um, as like exactly what they're looking for in their timeline. Um, and then obviously like, okay, if the scope changes or this changes, like we're going to have to adjust or like, you know, it's going to be this amount more based on, you know, these changes or whatever it's going to be. Um, yeah. But I try, you know, I try to give them like, try to approach it like, hey, you know, I'm going to, I want to make sure I'm going to provide you with what you need but I need to know kind of like what you guys have to work with so that I can give you the best work possible, you know? Um, so it's just like, what's your budget? Should I tell me how much money I can, you know, make, yeah, yeah. give them a service. Um, but they, yeah, I mean, it's like trying to try, trying to get that number is sometimes hard. You're right. It's just um, trying to get information out of them on the front end in general. Like I feel like a lot of times it can actually scare away a client but then reflecting on that i'm like maybe that's a good thing because yeah oh they, i think that's true if yeah. they don't know do i really want to spend all the time extra time beyond doing the actual work trying to pick out what we're actually doing and end up having a client that you know has an infinite scope um yeah. <laughs> and you know that that's kind of now my my warning flag is if they're if they're not clear on what they need then it's going to lead into that project creep and you know whatever price is agreed upon they're going to think that they just they now own you for whatever they their needs are um and so that that's kind of become a warning flag of if they're not willing to answer the questions that you have straight up maybe they're not the right client that's a good point yeah it's like valuing what you do in your time you know because i've had people like try to it's like, if they're not willing to pay at least this amount, like, you know, they're not valuing what you're bringing. Um, mm -hmm. and I think standing true, standing firm to that, you know, I've, I've said no more, like more recently than I've said yes to things, which is like, kind of nice. Like I'm not making, you know, any less than X amount, like, sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. I know what I, what I do well and what you're going to get. So, um, yeah, it's knowing that too and not kind of like, unless you're just like, I really want to get in with this client and I know it's going to be a good long, you know, a big client and it's going to be a good on my resume or a long-term thing. You can yeah. kind of. That, that's the situation I just found myself in. So I'm also trying to work more thinking long-term by thinking about, okay, can I potentially get a situation where there's royalties or backend with this client? And so now we're on a team trying to build something together they're willing to compensate me some upfront for my immediate time, but then it's like, let's build something together. Yeah, uh, that's good. And that feels really good. And it's like, then it's it's almost like creating a built-in savings account into your work of, I know that this, if this is successful, if I'm good at what I'm doing, I'm going to get residuals on it. 
Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it too. Like what's the long-term. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Let's bring in Matt and then Mo, we got you on deck. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for being on, Tanya. I love it. I love talking finances and going through this. Um, (laughs) My question is, uh, what do you suggest for projecting cash flow, not just as like a freelancer, but even as like just a solo, like small studio or like network studio or small business? Projecting like like a few how much money you need, like so many months ahead, like what should be in your account? At all yeah. Time? Like how, how many months do you, you know, based on like your budget, you know, how much padding do you suggest keeping in a business versus drawing out? Um, things like that. Yeah. Like projecting, you know, how many, you know, what do I need to invoice when, you know, what do I need to make sure? I, I'm just curious what your strategy might be or suggestions on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me personally, you know, I have my, my, business savings account with, you know, 15, 20,000 in it. Well, you have your, I have my tax savings account and my business savings account just so that I have that like buffer of money. So it's like knowing, um, like I said, knowing your overhead, like what's the bare minimum expenses to operate and then potentially, or ideally you'd have like be a couple months ahead in your account, you know, based on what you have coming in and stuff like that. Um, I, yeah, I feel like it depends. Cause like, are you, are you mostly getting big chunks of money at different times? Like, how are you, how's the money coming in? Yeah. Uh, it's mainly through, uh, you know, chunks of money from, you know, uh, first half of a project deposits and then the final deposits and then all kind of overlapping when, when all the projects are overlapping. Um, and so are you kind of say, say keeping your, um, kind of your runway or your, uh, life emergency fund in the business as that padding and then take that out as needed or like in, in a business savings. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a business savings account, but like, I basically have, you know, a couple months of expenses in my checking account at all times in my business checking account. But I have a little bit different situation where I, I kind of have money luckily almost coming in like daily now from like, you know, Four ninety nine here, two nine, whatever it is. So I have like a little bit of chunks coming in, like consistently, which helps me like stay ahead. Um, but I have like, you know, I have no less than eight thousand dollars in my business checking account at all time. You know what I mean? Like I, I have those goals yeah. for my checking account just to make sure I have enough in there to cover um, what I need to. And then I have like my other savings account on top of that, just in case I need like a few months. But I feel like once you get kind of it the your flow down, if you've been freelancing for a while, then you can um, manage that accordingly. So it's like, okay, if you do want to take time off or whatever it is, then you know how much money you have coming in. Um, Yeah, there's no like cut and and dry way to do it. I feel like for me, it's been like, okay, here's the bare minimum budget of like my expenses that I need a month. You know, as a online online business owner, my expenses are fairly low. I don't have a, I don't have a storefront or anything like that. Um, so I can keep that pretty low besides some technology or some software that I use. Um, so yeah, I'd say like trying to stay ahead, obviously in your account and saving for taxes at the same time, there's a, it's a balance. There's no like one way to do it. That's best, but obviously you don't want to be going to zero and waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm doing currently. I was just, I was just wondering because yeah, I try to keep around eight or ten thousand in the account, and then have like a personal 
I, like I never thought of it just keeping it in the business till it's kind of needed. Um, but yeah, I have like a person, you know, like money that's been taxed ready as um, like a rainy day fund. Um, but having that runway and something I was just thinking about, I forget who said it. We've, we've probably talked about it on Monday meeting before, but having um, more than just two invoices per project as like a milestone, have like more milestones that you could, you could uh, invoice throughout the project, mm. like splitting that mm. up more. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Like I, I started doing that too, because I used to just invoice at the end. So I started invoicing like some at the beginning, like at least twice. Um, and it depends on how long the project is too, right? Like if it's a super long project, you don't want to wait six months to get paid. So like, could you split it up month, get something monthly or whatever it is. Um, even like yeah, different phases, even like, you know, yeah. after the, after the, the pre-planning phase after the certain, yeah. But if it goes on for three months, you know, Hey, can I invoice every two weeks or every, you know, month? Yeah. Or can we get a retainer or something for so many months, you know, some flat yeah. rate, you know? That's a good point. Yeah, like like Jen just said, that the deadline. I I need to do a kill fee or like a push fee. I don't currently do that. That's a that's a great idea. Yeah, because it happens a lot to me, and it's just kind of it's annoying, but I just make it work. But yeah, yeah, put that into the pro for sure. Just like setting those boundaries, you know, with your mm -hmm. time, and your money, obviously, your life. <laughs> but do that up front. Don't don't do that in the middle of a project. Say, oh, no, no, I no, no, yeah, have a deadline push fee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank awesome. you. Thanks, Matt. And Mo, pop on in, man. Good to see you. Hello. Morning. Um, going back to the discussion about client range for budget, depending, this is, a, of course, project dependent, but what one thing you could do is you could do a high, medium, and low deliverable range. So you tailor your deliverables based on the, the price that they're willing to afford. And if they then can they can pick from which one ever they want. So if you can't get an answer out of them for, you know, whatever the, the budget is for the project, you can say, well, for this high tier price, I'll give you X, medium, Y, and then low is Z. And then that way you're not making more than, you know, what they're willing to pay for. That's just something that we see back in the day and stuff that I've seen, you know, other people do for their projects as well. Yeah, that's a great great tip and point for anyone who's doing direct to client or billing project based projects uh um or invoicing via via the project uh have giving a, a certain yeah like small medium large type thing and from my experience and from other people i've spoke with too like you know that low is pretty low like very bare bones that high is really high <laughs> and so likely everyone's going to pick that middle one and if you price that accordingly and bid it well like they'll probably choose that you know yeah. so it's kind of like a little bit of pricing psychology as well, you know? Right. Um, but also, you know, if, if the, it, cause it might not be worth your time, like Sam was saying. So depending on what your situation is, the low would have to be worth it to make, you know, a profit off of it. Plus yes. tax, whatever else expenses are going to go. You got to use yes. your invoice or your, uh, your contract as your bouncer. You have to define your boundaries as much as humanly possible. That's how I got actually this full-time job that I was just on for a year and a half is because I started freelancing for them. And I said, okay, 
because you can't afford me at my main rate, I will give you this discounted rate, but I am only doing resizes. I am only doing localizations. I'm not on creative. And they kept trying to pull me on creative. I'm like, not getting paid for that. Sorry. And then finally they're like, can you come work with us for full time? We'll give you a taste of benefits package. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So, you know, give them a taste (laughs) if you're easy to work with. Awesome. And I just want to let people know I did put that burn sheet link in the chat and I'll add it to the show notes too. But um, Tanya, just to kind of round back too on some of the stuff that you're, you're well versed on. What would you say are some of like, you know, some of the tips that you give, uh, you know, freelancers or even just some of your clients of, you know, kind of some easy, easy things to start with, like say your finances are kind of a mess. Maybe you've got a lot of credit card debt or student loans or whatever. Like what are some of the first things that you recommend doing to like kind of start the process? Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is, you know, I've been saying it a bunch of times, but like knowing your basic overhead, like your bare minimum expenses, like having a budget and knowing, having a plan for your monthly money with a budget, I think has helped me and helps my clients the most is like being proactive versus reactive with your money um, Mm. is really crucial because as freelancers, you know, we live in that almost like fight or flight, like, you know, stressed and anxious about money because one's going to come in next. So how can you be more proactive with the money that you do have and managing the money that you do have coming in um, every month to know what's coming in and where's it, where's that money going to go? Um, accordingly. And I'd say, yeah, that's number one. And then the second thing is just like what I did wrong, you know, when I was doing, when I started the magazine that I was doing and some other stuff was like, I didn't really treat it as a business. I didn't treat, I I wasn't, it's like treating your, obviously it sounds like most of you guys are, but just like, okay, valuing what you do, treating yourself as a business. You know, I set my business up as an S corp last year and, and paying myself X amount of dollars a month, getting that all set up in that right way has helped me be like, legitimize what I'm doing, you know, and value it more instead of just kind of being like, oh, like not taking it so seriously, I guess, or not, not being as focused on it. So, um, you know, I personally, I don't know how you guys are set up, but I set mine up as an S Corp LLC last year um, as a solopreneur. And now I'm paying myself like, you know, X amount plus I'll just make, I'll I'll pay myself out a month depending on what else I need. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's helped me a lot too. And so when you're set up in that structure, you're paying yourself a salary, right? As a business owner, you're, you're paying yourself essentially. Now, do you also, you said sometimes you pull some stuff out if need be, are those considered like owner draw type things? Um, So it's just, uh, it's essentially another form of income, but correct me if I'm wrong again, not personal or financial advice, whatever, but uh, is that taxed differently? Like an owner draw than say like a, a paycheck or even a 1099? Um. Yeah, I believe they do. So when you're when you know you're paying yourself, all the taxes are coming out on top already, right? So then at the end of the year, you might owe some more if you're doing owner draws. Um, you might owe that. You're going to owe taxes mm-hmm. on that. Um, but I think what helped me with like now I'm a W two employee of my of myself, you know, and so yeah. 
now I'm just, ha- I'm taking off that stress of taxes and some of that social security, like some of the, if, it, you know, if you're not set up as an S corp and you're making over 80,000 or $90,000 a year, you're paying double social security, you're paying double taxes on a lot of things that you don't mm. realize you're paying more. Um, so it ends up saving you money in the long run, but I just, um, yeah, you will pay taxes on your draw. Right. right. Yeah, the other thing is too, and Will, I see your hand up, but let me just uh, stay on this tax thing for a second. Um, what do you recommend to your clients or what would you recommend to you know artists like us that are in this kind of freelance pool or whatnot for taxes? Is Do you have like just say a blanket number where like if you save this much, you should probably – that should pretty much cover it for you uh, and maybe that's a percentage. Yeah. I mean, I generally 30% is yeah, how. Okay. That's what I've always had in my head as well. Yeah. 30% I feel like is a good number. If you, and if you have write-offs and expenses and stuff like that, that should offset um, some of that, but that's to be safe. And obviously like I'm in a high tax California state, Yeah. <laughs> higher taxes. Um, yeah. And I saw a question on how much you should be making to set up an S corp. Will says 64. A year profit. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen around, you know, if you're making around 80, 80,000 and S corp is definitely worth it to make up for the taxes and stuff like that. Well, I might have to switch that. Cause right now I'm still a sole prop LLC. And again, for freelancers, uh, listening or here on the call, like Tanya said earlier, you have to think of yourself as a business. Therefore, you should set yourself up as a business, right? Not only are there certain advantages and whatnot, some of it being kind of legal advantages of having a little bit of protection of uh, of your, say, LLC business versus your personal finance and all that. I know there's some some crossover there, but I always recommend to anyone to like set yourself up to be an LLC or S corp or something. If you're out there billing clients or studios or whatnot, it, if anything, it looks, it makes you look a little bit more professional. Um, but yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. Back to the, uh, to the crew here. Will hop on in, man. Happy Monday. Hey, um, I have a kind of, more granular question i guess and it's a maybe a little silly but for somebody who can't track things to save their life um (laughs) and as i'm i'm organizing some things but with with finances and tracking things that feel boring um not very good do you have any um like habits or systems that you recommend to your clients for um, becoming a little bit more organized and becoming a little bit more aware of their finances. I seem to do a decent job when it comes to tracking like um, invoices and payments and that sort of thing. But when it comes to just like general spending and stuff for my business, I'm not terrible, but just like not consistent. Um, do you have any good systems or things for people who aren't connected? <laughs> Um, I mean, I think have it like, what are your goals in the next, like, I mean, I always think like, you know, people don't have a reason to track and do the, do certain things. Cause they don't have super clear, like six, like short-term and long-term goals. So like, you know, right. you have a reason to stay on top of things and want to manage the money you have coming in when you have really clear, like goals that you're working towards. 
so I'd say getting really clear on that is, is super important first. Um, gotcha. and you know, having that reason to like be wanting to look at it for me. Yeah. It's like, mine's kind of set up, like I said, being proactive, like how much should, can't not should you, but can you spend like what, what is the amount of money? Cause I know sometimes in a business too, you're like, ah, oh, it's on the business. Like it's, you know, we kind of get it's a write off. <laughs> But it's like, is it? Is you it write okay? it off. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hyper focused on that just because like I have big goals of like investing and like, you know, my freedom and flexibility um, as a business owner. So I feel like that's what's helped me a lot. And just knowing, like I said, your baseline expenses and your cash flow. Um, as much as you can, but I, I mean, I have a Google tracker. I'll send it to you guys, um, that I use and I have one set up for my business and one set up for my, my personal expenses, um, that I'm tracking. And like I said, I'm, I'm pre-planning like as much as you can kind of forecast and be proactive with what's coming in and where it's going to go, the better off you are than like being like, Oh, I have the, the money's coming in or, you know, it's I'll get it back eventually or whatever it is. Like try to be more proactive. Um, One thing that helps helps me is I essentially funnel everything that I spend on my business through my business credit card. That way, like right. all my transactions go through there. And now all these credit card things, you, you can like have uh, all these breakdowns of, Oh, I spent this much on automotive or whatever it may be, you know? Uh, and that's helped, but also like Tony was saying, trying to figure out goals and actually like look back in the last three months of your spend. And you'll probably be like, Holy shit. I spent five grand on tacos. Like what? <laughs> I had no idea. But like when you're just spending it, especially nowadays, when you just tap your phone, you know, like you never even have that, like, that transaction, it, it's like fake money, you know? Uh, so it's, uh, right. it's kind of eye-opening when you start looking at how much stuff or how much money is going in and out or where you're spending certain things. And one thing um, that I found too, joking about the write-off stuff is for a while, I was like, yeah, it's a write-off. Amazing. Well, it's a write-off, but it's still three grand that's leaving my bank account or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's like, okay, there are benefits, but I'm still spending a bunch of money <laughs> to get that benefit. So is it really a benefit? Anyway. Um, it's at most 20% off yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, yeah. Uh, do you, and I think I'm trying to get a little, even a little bit more granular than that, which is, um, you know, I have some goals. I want to set up six months of of expenses. I want to have more regular income. I've switched a niche down to um, doing motion graphics for events and conferences. So doing, you know, big, big intro logos, speaker headers, that kind of thing. Um, and trying to get more consistent with that. I think, honestly, what I'm more curious about is like, what other people do, like, do you set aside time every day to like, like I'm going to go through all my transactions and just like check this out. Or do you do that? Like once a month, do you have a system or a schedule or I personally do mine do? Like a, a couple times a week? You know, I, I feel like it's like, it's like a habit. I, ex, I explained uh, money as like working out, you know, exercise and working a muscle, right? It's like, you can't do a sit up once and get abs, unfortunately. Um, so, <laughs> you know, doing it a couple times a week, just setting aside five to 10 minutes 
it doesn't have to take that long, but as much as you can like minimize it. Cause I feel like we get caught up in like, Oh, it's going to take me forever. I don't like to do this. I'm not, I don't want to look at this. Um, you know, scheduling, like having a time block or for me personally, I'm on my computer a lot. So I have my, my budget open on my laptop at in, in between meetings, I'll just be like, Hey, I'm going to check in and see what's cleared in my account and kind of, um, you know, manage this real quick. But I think like minimizing it and just twice a week, you know, two to three times a week is what I have my clients do for five to 10 minutes, just to stay on top of it. And thinking, thinking gotcha. of it as like a habit of working out and being disciplined in that area is, is important. It's going to help your business grow and help you feel more in control of your finances. And it probably seems like a monumental task right now, right? You're probably like, holy shit, like, where do I even start? But once you get past that, right, and you can keep up on it and you have weekly check-ins or whatever, it's like, all right, cool, like, just roll through it. And okay, now, now I'm seeing where some more money's going or whatnot. I mean, I also use QuickBooks for my business, and that yeah, also helps, like, um, uh, categorize expenses and whatnot. So it's, it's pretty easy to kind of keep a kind of a, a 30,000 foot view on stuff there. I will also say this, that, uh, hot tip, don't get the QuickBook freelancer version because if you ever scale to the next version, none of your data will transfer pro tip. <laughs> so if you've set up all these clients and all these, all this stuff, uh, you would have to start from scratch. So just get the basic plan. Anyway, uh, will Thanks. anything else that you had on your mind there? Oh, good. Thank awesome. You. Awesome. Thomas, happy Monday. Welcome. Hey. Yeah. Happy Monday, everybody. Um, so I've been freelance for, well, like officially S Corp for like a year and a half now. Uh, just because my CPA told me so. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, uh, you know, learning as I go here. Uh, right now, I'm reading a book, actually, that was recommended by uh, Matthias from Maxon called uh, Ink and Get Rich, which is about uh, S-Corps and elections and all that sort of stuff. So I guess my question is more for the group of like, is everybody taking advantage of the rules set in place? Uh, how do you draw ethic or moral law like i don't know some of it just seems so greasy to me like starting a business is like do i need to open a cafeteria in my dining room for myself <laughs> uh, you know that sort of stuff like uh what what sort of advantages are people taking with an escorption that's a good question uh, feel free anyone can pop in to that. Um, I yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jenny. Um, I think that part of setting yourself up as a business is also like the way that you represent yourself. So, um, I mean, I was freelancing for a long time and it's, um, it was really, it was really great and it was easy to connect to other agencies that way. But as soon as I set myself up as a business, like my mindset changed and it's much easier to reach out and be reached as a business. Um, so, I mean, there's also like, obviously all the, like the money advantages of having a business, but it's just, it's really about like a net as well as a network. Um, for me, it's easier to reach out to like B2B and to other agencies presenting myself as a business, not just a freelancer allows me to take on like bigger projects um, mm -hmm. create my own teams. 
um, which is a, it's a really huge advantage, uh, both for like your professional development and in the end of the day, if you do it right, um, money wise. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there are advantages, I think, of setting yourself as a business, but again, as many have mentioned here, like, I don't think you should do it straight away and you should only really do it when you're, when you're ready. Yeah. Thanks for that, Jenny. Actually, I have a question on that, Jenny. So, I mean, I really don't, I have no uh, desire to start my own studio. I'd rather work with smaller um, uh, studios or agencies and stuff. So I I actually really do like pr to prefer to call myself as a freelancer, but then I don't do B2B. I, I go after like the agencies. Is there any advice on on how to do that when you are presenting yourself as a freelancer? Um, well, First of all, I mean, there's there's so much advice out there as 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 freelancers. Um, School of Motion. Joey Corman wrote a great book um, about like I read it at the time. That helped me a lot. Just the way that I connected with different um, agencies. Um, just you know, presenting your work and presenting who you are as as a freelancer. That doesn't mean you don't you can't have a biz like a business under your name. Like that doesn't it's it's not an either or. Um, it's like, you know, if you're making a, a, enough money being a business, you're going to get tax advantages. So you might as like, you might as well take advantage of that. But reaching out to agencies, it just, it's just, just reaching out to them and telling them your availabilities and telling them who you are, how you are, and just presenting yourself pro properly online. I'm happy. You can call me later. I'm happy to chat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and just to circle back to um, Thomas's um, question as well about like the S Corp and just business and stuff like that. It is the more I've kind of learned about setting up businesses and doing business and stuff. There seems like there's a lot of shady things, right? Or like slime ball things or whatever. And you're like, wait, I can do that? Or everyone does that? Or, you know, it's... Like you said, some moral things. I, I don't even know specifics per se, but certain things have come up. But the, I mean, when I reason with myself on things like that, I'm like, well, Kanye West got a PPP loan. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just seems like there are good business people who know all those laws and can use it to their advantage and anyway there's a lot of a lot of things to be learned in that business side of things and um if we can take advantage of anything to better ourselves especially like personally none of us are running gigantic studios or you know we're we're all just like trying to make it work you know so by all means use those use those loopholes or those things you know um for now I don't know if anyone else has a different take on that, but I say, hey, you know. I don't know that advantage. there's like loopholes. I, I think like, yeah, in some way, I mean, if you're, you know, Amazon, then it's a loophole, but. <laughs> it was a trick, um, yeah. But I mean, as small business owners, like it's there, it's, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm not a, I'm not a financial person, but I feel like in some way it's set up to help you succeed in some way. I mean, there's so many things that, detour people from setting up their own businesses and stuff. So if you can take like small advantages on the legal side of, uh, then like, there's no reason why you should like, why you shouldn't. It's totally. And I mean, I, I feel like 
I mean, and specific to the U.S., because I know we have a global audience, but specific to the U.S., I mean, small small business is like what makes this country run. Exactly. Essentially, you know, so like and I, I would imagine that is a kind of a could be a global statement. There's a ton of like small businesses that just run towns and cities. So like uh, I think there's a lot of good resources out there for people like us because, you know capitalism right they want these businesses to actually succeed so anyway use those to your advantage i guess um well we have hit the hour mark and i know we normally try to keep these about an hour but i do want to just throw out one more uh time to the group if anyone does have a final question or thought or want to contribute anything here at the end feel free to raise your hand and as we're doing that, Tanya, if there's any other like little tips or any, you know, uh, hot tips you want to leave us with, um, let us know. And then maybe let us know where people can find you. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, the biggest advantage a lot of us have right now is finding different ways to make income. Um, so for me, you know, that was social media content, create, you know, content creation through user generated content, um, different ways that we can make money in this industry. Um, that's helped me kind of figure out different, yeah, like different sources of income, right? So not thinking like, I just have to make money this way, like being open-minded or figuring out, you know, how can I, can I coach other people coming up in this industry? Or can I do a video course and like sell it, sell that, you know, which is something that I'm working on or that I've been working on for the last year. Um, so there's just so much potential right now and advantage that we have. So looking at so many different ways that you can build your business and doesn't have to be one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's been really crucial and not just putting yourself in a box. Um, obviously having a niche, I think is really important. Like I feel like that is like specializing in one thing in an industry is really good, but then how can you find other ways to monetize your expertise and your knowledge? Um, through social media or whatever it is you like to do, I think is a really good, something to keep in mind. Nice. Awesome. And where, if people want to learn more or contact you about more personal finance stuff or whatnot, what's the best way to find you? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok, the money life. Co well, it's actually my name, Tanya Schultz, um, or just type in the money life coach and you should find me. And then the money life is my website. So yeah, if you guys want to set up um, a call to connect one-on-one and talk some more about this or, you know, just email me or whatever. Um, Mark can send you guys out my email too, to connect and we can talk there. But yeah, you can see my, on I have an online course and one-on-one um, -on -one coaching and stuff like that, that I do on my website. Awesome. And I'll drop all that stuff in the show notes too. So anyone listening can easily find that. Um, well, just want to say thank you so much, Tanya, for taking time out of your day. I know it's early over in California, so we appreciate you hopping on early with us. Um, and thanks for sharing and just kind of being part of this conversation because it's an important conversation that I feel like maybe it's just humans in general. Like money seems so taboo, you know, and it's like it's a weird thing to talk about and no one ever really wants to share their rates or whatever. And like, I think slowly we're starting to see that change a bit, especially in our industry. We really try to be as transparent as possible and talk about rates and what, you know, projects should be bid at or whatever. You know, we, 
I think have an interesting industry in, in a way where people love to share information. So I hope this brought some value to, to anyone listening. And uh, definitely I learned a few things. So if anyone does want to follow up with Tanya, I'll have all of her information in the show notes, but thanks again for, for coming on today. And um, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Uh, Hanging out. So let's see closing. So thanks as always to everyone for coming this week and being a part of the Monday meeting community. We obviously do it for you. So thank you for being here. Uh, You can find us on all the social media platforms by searching for Monday meeting. Again, we have a bunch of random handles, so just look for the icon and it'll eventually pop up. And the audio will, I'll post it as soon as possible. Um, And show notes will also be available at mondaymeeting.org. So until next week, have a kick-ass week and we'll catch you next Monday. Peace.